Good morning. Good morning, everyone. Such a blessing to meet and gather in Christ's name. A few announcements as we get started. So next week, following the message, uh, there will be tea and coffee as normal, and then Anna's going to share a bit about Planted. So I encourage you to stick around for that. That's a ministry aimed at young people that she spearheads. And the following week will be the AGM. So all are also welcome to attend that. And again, happy Mother's Day to you all. And uh, last thing, roster. There is a new roster that's out, so please have a look at that in the foyer and see if there might be any area that the Lord would prompt you to serve and contribute. So it's a blessing to, to meet and to minister and to have the Lord work in and through each one of us. How faithful is our God? Let's pray. Thank you, Father, that you are good, you are glorious, that you cause your Son to shine on the just and the unjust, that you've given us life, that you have loved us with an everlasting love. And Jesus, even now, is preparing a place for us, that where you are, we might be also. We look forward to that day, Lord, and we also look forward to what you have to speak to us now. We pray that you would move in our midst, that there would be uh, truly a heart of worship, that we would offer you the sin that you bring to mind that you would give us a brokenness for our sin. You would give us great joy and faith to believe that we are forgiven by grace in Jesus Christ and his shed blood. And thank you for the forgiveness, for the eternal life, for the peace and comfort that you provide now, that we can truly trade those, those ashes for joy, that you give us the fruit of the Spirit and you fill us to overflowing. May we glorify and honor you now as we meet, as we read as we seek you, in Jesus' name. Amen. Our passage is in Hebrews 11, starting in verse 17. We're talking about, we're in the midst of this passage where it's talking about by faith, people followed God. They were obedient to Him. And when we walk by faith in God, we have great confidence that He will see us through. Even if it's the valley of the shadow of death, we don't need to be afraid because He's with us. And faith in God, it really shapes our whole perspective. Um, our worldview is transformed through a relationship with God. It, it changes the way that we approach the things we see, the way we feel, uh, the, our view of our past, and also the future. An optimist sees the glass half full, the pessimist half empty, but the believer is thankful that God created us, that he made water to hydrate us, that he provides the living water to flow through our lives. And, and the world would say, that's a bizarre thing to think. But that's how God changes us. God sees not as other people see. And so as believers, we begin to see things like other people don't see it. Because we're able to see God's redemptive purposes even in suffering, even in difficulty. And he just transforms our outlook. Think about David. How we see he was a man after God's own heart. He had been protecting Nabal's sheep. He, he was in need. His men were, were also needy. And they came to him in a time of plenty and said, Will you please give us some food? Would you, would you uh, compensate us for all the trouble we took to protect your shepherds and your flocks? There wasn't one lost. We didn't steal anything. And Nabal had some pretty strong words and just said, huh, there's many people that run away from their, 
their uh, masters these days. Should I give my water to, to this guy? And really spoke slanderously of David. So David says, guys, gird on your swords, let's go. And they were going to go take vengeance upon him. On the way, he's intercepted by Abigail, Nabal's wife, and she just says, please overlook my husband and his foolish words, and here's a gift, and don't, don't spoil your legacy, don't bring dishonor upon God by avenging yourself. And you think of a person who's in the heat of, of anger, having been offended, hearing these words, and listen to how David responds in 1 Samuel 25, 32. Blessed is the Lord God of Israel who sent you this day to meet me, and blessed is your advice, and blessed are you because you have kept me this day from coming to bloodshed and from avenging myself with my own hand. Instead of cursing, he's like, bless you. Bless the Lord for sending you. Blessed is your advice because you've kept me from doing a terrible thing that I was going to do. So he admitted that he had done wrong. I know when I'm corrected, my first initial impression is not to bless, right? In the flesh, we, we, we push back against that. But David was changed because God was with him. God was in him. And faith credits God for being good even in the midst of suffering, even when you're slandered, even when things are difficult. And uh, in this passage in Hebrews... We're talking about how God himself provides a good testimony, like these people please me because they trust me, because they obey me, because they know me. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. For those who come to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Beginning in verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, in Isaac your seed shall be called, concluding that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. Abraham was called by God to go out from Haran, and by faith he remained in the land of promise as a sojourner. Walking, it requires progressive steps, right? If you take a step, that's not walking. Walking is continuing to walk, to take one step after another. And really, our faith in God is progressive. It's not just one decision and we are at our end point in heaven. No, our bodies continue on earth and we walk with Jesus step by step, steps of faith in him, trusting him. Abraham left Haran, due to faith in God, he remained in the promised land due to faith in God. It was by faith he lived, and it's by faith he trusted. This word test here, it means to prove. It's like showing whether a diamond is real or fake. He was tested by God. A real diamond will sink in water where a fake diamond will likely float. You guys can go and t test these things out on your own later. If you hold a diamond between your fingers and you breathe on it, it will not fog up because it conducts heat very well. But a fake diamond will fog up for a couple of seconds. Uh, and if you're really believing that your diamond is real, then you will get a lighter and you can put it under it for 40 seconds, then put it in cold water and see if it shatters. You'd have to be confident, right, that this is the real thing. I'm going to put it through this test because I think it will endure it. It's real, it's genuine, and I'm not afraid of losing it. And it's funny because 
we don't really want to know we have a fake that you bought as legitimate. It costs us something. We've been proud of it for so long, and we don't want to admit the possibility we were tricked. And so we're almost like, oh, well, don't put it through that test. I'm not willing to put a lighter to it and have it potentially break because that kind of exposes my mistakes. Well, see, God tested Abraham because his faith was genuine. He knew he wouldn't crack under the pressure because this test was designed to draw him closer to God, to follow God closer more than he ever had before. And it's really good when God shatters our fake faith so that we'll repent and trust him today. When he exposes it as, you think it's this great thing, but it's really false. It's empty. It's worthless before me. And that may cut us to the heart, but that's what we need so that we'll come to him and realize, I need Jesus. I need God. Without him, I can do nothing. God put Abraham's test, faith to the test. He commanded him to offer his only son, Isaac, as a burnt offering. You can read of this in Genesis 22. Isaac was the miracle child born to Abraham and Sarah when they were past childbearing age. In Genesis 21.12, God confirmed the birthright was through Isaac, not Ishmael. And this was a contradiction. So it's like, okay, my son, he's a virgin, he's an adult man, not married, has no children. How can the birthright pass through him if he's sacrificed as a burnt offering? How is that possible? He, it, was not, it was only able to be reconciled through faith in God, that God is able to raise him from the dead. And that was his conclusion. He's like, okay, God's really telling me to do this. And God can raise him from the dead. So he went through with it. The Bible says he took Isaac to the mount. He built an altar. He put the wood in place. He bound his son, who was willing to be offered, placed him on the altar, and he's literally reaching for the knife when God says, okay, don't kill your son. I know that you would not withhold your only son from me. And Abraham wasn't hesitating like we might. Like, I'm getting closer to the knife. You know, the fire is getting close to the wood. Okay, is God going to say stop? We want him to say stop. He want, we want to bail out of it, right? But no, he was, he was that's faith. It's like God will do what he promised. My, through Isaac, my line will continue. And at that moment, it says Romans 4, 20 and 21, he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. Abraham was so convinced that he reached for that knife, intending to kill his son. At that moment, God called out to him, and it says he saw a ram caught in a thicket, and he offered that ram in place of his son. And he called the place Jehovah-Jireh, which means the Lord will provide. God did not spare his only begotten son to atone for the sins of the world. That prophetic utterance of Abraham when Isaac says, you know, we've got the wood, we've got the fire, but where's the offering? And he said, God will provide for himself an offering. And he fulfilled that with the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, who died for the sins of the world. So this test, God received Isaac figuratively because he wasn't literally offered up. And that test proved Abraham's faith genuine. Every test that God gives 
A passing mark is possible. That's something we can take to heart. Because this test, it's the same word often that's translated tempt. God never tempts us to do evil. He tests us to see that we will do what's right. God always provides a way of escape. The way of escape, it says in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may may be able to bear it. Educators, they evaluate students through tests. God designs tests to strengthen our faith so that we can see, oh, I'm not, I don't, wouldn't get a passing mark on this one. Right? Does the teacher need to know? They have a pretty good idea of where if the students are actually understanding. But when they get back that fail paper, it sends a message, right? You don't understand this, these concepts. There's more that you need to study. It's teaching the failure, it is something that teaches, as well as commending those who actually have the knowledge. I love that. God is faithful. If you put temptation to sin against the faithfulness of God, which is greater? The faithfulness of God. If you pit one against another, there's no comparison. We sometimes are servants who fail to do our basic duty, but God is faithful to his word. Continuing it in Hebrews 11, verse 20. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshiped, leaning on the top of his staff. We're going to be going back into history several times today, but this one's about Isaac. So his wife, Rebecca, she was with child, and she had been looking forward to getting pregnant, but then she was just having a tough pregnancy and saying, man, If everything's okay, why do I feel so lousy? And she sought the Lord, and God revealed that there were twins tussling inside of her. They were having this little, you know, wrestling match inside of her. Genesis 25, 23, And the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb. Two peoples shall be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. Older twin was named Esau who became an avid outdoorsman and hunter. Jacob, the younger, he preferred more domestic activities like cooking. Gentle is the word used there. Genesis 25, 28, it says, And Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. So the promise that, that Jacob would, so the younger, would be served by the older, that was given before they were born. But as they grew up, Isaac, he loved Esau because he's like, that guy knows how to cook. He knows how to hunt. He, he was always looking forward to eating what he prepared. So Isaac, he's getting old. He's going blind. He says, Esau, I don't know how much time I have left to live. Go hunting. Bring back some savory meat, and then I'll bless you. Rebecca, she's like, ooh, she hears this. She gets Jacob to impersonate her brother. She makes some food, and Isaac is tricked into blessing Jacob instead of Esau. His preference was to bless Esau. He wanted to bless Esau. He says, I want to bless you, Esau. But God overruled him. Isaac realized he'd been tricked in Genesis 27, 33. Then Isaac trembled exceedingly and said, Who? Where is the one who hunted game and brought it to me? I ate all of it before you came, and I have blessed him. And indeed, he shall be blessed. 
Isaac realized, like, whoa, he's trembling because he was caught out. He, he's not angry that he was deceived, but like God overruled me. I wanted to bless Esau, but the, the younger, Jacob, would be blessed. He would be most blessed. And so Isaac blessed both of them, but Jacob first. A similar thing happened with Jacob uh, as Joseph, as he grew older. So Joseph was a son of Jacob who received the blessing, and he brings his sons while Jacob's sojourning in Egypt, Ephraim and Manasseh. And Joseph knew that the right hand was the, like the greater blessing, and so he, dad's on the bed, and he brings Manasseh to the right side and Ephraim to the left side. But Jacob, his eyes were dim as well, but he crosses his arms to bless them. And it says that Joseph was like annoyed by this. And he's like, no, father, you got it wrong. And he's like trying to move his hands. He's like, no, no, no. This is what he said in Genesis 48, 19. But his father refused and says, I know, my son, I know. He also shall become a people and he also shall be great, but truly his younger brother shall be greater than he and his descendants shall become a multitude of nations. So he blessed them that day, saying, By you Israel will bless, saying, May God make you as Ephraim and Manasseh. And thus he said, Ephraim before Manasseh. Then Israel said to Joseph, Behold, I am dying, but God will be with you and will bring you back to the land of your fathers. By faith in God, Jacob bucked the tradition of blessing the elder first, and he blessed the younger by faith in God. I like how verse 21 of Hebrews, it says that Jacob worshiped God as he leaned on his staff. And David Guzik makes a great point on this. He says, Jacob had to lean on the top of his staff because he was given a limp many years before when God confronted him at Peniel. As he leaned on his staff, he remembered that God was great and held his future and the future of his descendants. Therefore, he worshiped, demonstrating his faith and dependence on God. So the God that crippled him, you guys remember what happened? as he was coming back into his land to see his father and was going to meet with Esau, he wrestled with a man until the break of day. He touched his hip and it shrunk. And from that day forward, he walked with a limp. He did not curse God for giving him a physical disability he would carry for the rest of his life. He worshiped because God is glorious. God is worthy. God had blessed him and had kept his word. And Jacob was confident. He's like, God was with me and he's going to be with you. Not only that, he's going to bring us up out of here. He's going to bring us back to our homeland where we came from, that land of promise. By faith, a dying man can be filled with blessing, assured of God's peace and faithfulness, not just for him and going into eternity, but for generations to come. Jacob was overwhelmed by God's goodness. He's like, you know, I thought, Joseph, you were dead. I thought I would never see you again. But now here I am blessing your two children. What a wonder. And he was overwhelmed with a sense of God's care and guidance. Hebrews eleven twenty two by faith Joseph when he was dying made the departure of the children of his made mention of the departure of the children of Israel and gave instructions concerning his bones. If you could turn your Bibles to Genesis fifty starting in verse twenty four, we'll read this. We have all these deathbed moments and blessings here, all piled on top of each other. Joseph by faith he t speaks of the departure of the children. Of Israel, he gives them directions concerning his burial. 
when we see the world and the problems in it, I've heard people say, oh, it's, it's a terrible thing to raise a child in this world. And I say, well, raise your children to follow God. Raise your children to follow Jesus. We don't need to be afraid of the future because of the God who holds our future, the God who knows us. And, and thus, having children, it could be an act of faith in believing that God's provided them, that he has given us the opportunity to shepherd them and to serve and to bless the world through him. Awesome. Hebrews, excuse me, Genesis 50, verse 24. And Joseph said to his brethren, I am dying, but God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land to the land which he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph took an oath from the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. Joseph was embalmed. He was placed in a coffin. He was not buried under a pyramid somewhere. He was, was to be buried in the land of his father's. In light of the demise of Isaac, of Jacob, and Joseph, they leaned upon God who is faithful. By faith, they weren't afraid of their future or the future of their families. They lived and died by faith in God. It's like they had confidence beyond this world that they rested in, they trusted. And we can have confidence in Christ that he will never leave or forsake us, that his work on, in this world does not depend upon us, and when we purchase that burial plot or uh, you know, tomb or space for our remains, it's not really our final resting place. Our resting place is in Christ, and we rest in him even now. By faith, we know this world will pass away, but God's word will never pass away. So who do you lean on in times of trouble? Where will you spend eternity? You're confident in God in the face of death, but how about in daily living? Will you put your confidence in him today? Hebrews eleven twenty three. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child, and they were not afraid of the king's command. Now we speak of the parents of Moses, Amram and Jochebed. Pharaoh made a decree that all male children were to be thrown in the river because they were becoming so numerous and becoming stronger than the Egyptians that they're like, we've got to get rid of some of these Hebrews who were enslaved by them. Amram and Jochebed, they had had Miriam and Aaron, and then they gave birth to this baby boy, and they said he was a beautiful child. They're like, we know the command, but what can we do to this kid? Like, we are going to protect him. We are... I don't care what the king said. We're going to preserve this life. And so they did until he couldn't be hidden three months in. Jochebed, it says, weaved a basket. She daubed it with uh, slime and, and tar and then put it out in the river, right? Kind of obeying the command. They said, throw him in the river. Now, maybe she took the basket and kind of dropped it in the river. Hey, I did what I was told. Threw him in the river. But uh, so they put Moses in the river and Pharaoh's daughter comes down to the waterside to wash, and she sees this odd basket. And she's like, fetch that basket for me. And opens it, and the baby wept and says she was moved with compassion. Miriam, who had been watching all this go down, says, hey, would you like me to find a Hebrew nurse for that baby? Oh, yeah. So guess who was the baby's nurse? His mother, Jochebed. And she was paid to wean him. 
It was the daughter of Pharaoh who named him. We don't read of Amram and Jochebed naming their child. She named him Moses because she drew him out of water, and that's what he's called in Scripture. They were not afraid of the king's command, and it shows us that faith in God conquers fear of man and what man can do to us. No doubt, the punishment for slaves disobeying orders was severe, but faith in God drove away the fear of man. Proverbs 28.1 says, The wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. I like the words of Peter and the apostles when they were um, criticized and censured for speaking in Christ's name. And they said, we ought to obey God rather than man. They refused to acquiesce or cower to man's threats because they were willing to accept the responsibility and the consequences of obedience to Christ, even if it meant suffering. People in this world, they're willing to suffer for their own convictions who are apart from Christ. But are we willing to suffer for Christ? What God calls us to do. Hebrews eleven twenty four. By faith Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. When the daughter of Pharaoh looked into that basket, she's like, this is a Hebrew child. And Moses never forgot he was a Hebrew. He remembered. And he refused to identify as the, the daughter of uh, the son of Pharaoh's daughter. But when he saw those slaves, he said, those are my brethren. Those are my people. And when he was 40 years old, by faith, at a time when he could make an educated, calculated decision, he didn't justify distancing himself or using his political power or clout to say, well, I'm going to work for better conditions for these slaves or I'm going to lobby to work toward their freedom. He became like them. He chose to come alongside them, to defend them, and to help them. He chose to identify with the people of God who were suffering. It was faith in God that guided Moses to obey God and to refuse the passing pleasures of sin. A lifetime of suffering was seen superior to a season of pleasure. Because why? He looked to the reward, it says. The reward that God would give him. He esteemed the reproach of Christ greater than the treasures of Egypt. Now we know Egypt is a, was a very wealthy nation. They had much gold, power, fame, land, parties, wine, women, possessions, along with idols, idol, idolatry, astrology, oppression. And he refused to numb himself with those things, to pursue those. Instead, faith in God caused him to reject sin and choose to live as a child of God. And that cannot be overstated, that connection. It was faith in God that chose him to refuse sin, faith. And it was faith that enabled him to uh, suffer joyfully with God's people. Now, we value avoiding suffering over a reward, I think. Right? If you said, would you like to suffer now and for many years to come? We'd be like, 
I would value not suffering. <laughs> I would prefer to not suffer. I want, I would rather you say, would you like to enjoy a, a prolonged season of, of pleasure and happiness? And we're like, well, that sounds good. Yeah. But by faith, he's like, suffering for God is of more value than all the riches of Egypt. And he was somebody who was exposed to them. He had access to them. He had anything that he wanted in the world at that time. Turn to what Paul wrote in Philippians 3, starting in verse 7. It's interesting that it said Moses suffering the reproach of Christ, when Christ, of course, had not been born yet. But he understood in part what it was like to suffer to set people free, because that's what Moses uh, discovered. Now, Paul's writing to the Philippians, and he, he trots out some potential reasons to boast. Like, you know, if you guys want to boast about what you've done, your accomplishments, or who you are, or your background, or you graduated from this place, or you've held this position, or you know this person, now he, he's like, those things don't boost my self-confidence at all. This is what he says in Philippians 3, 7. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. By faith, Paul came to the conclusion, everything in my life that was once considered gain, that I could boast in, it's nothing, it's rubbish, compared to the knowledge of God and being accepted by him as righteous. Through faith, Paul knew God. He knew the power of his resurrection having been born again. He knew the fellowship of his sufferings. All suffering that Paul endured in obedience to Jesus, it gave him closer fellowship with him. It brought him closer to God. So he's like, I value that. I don't want, the suffering in itself is of no consequence, but through that, I have fellowship with Christ's suffering. And he draws me near to himself. By faith, Paul made a public stand for Jesus, which meant persecution from the very people at one point he wanted to impress. By faith, Moses, he refused the status of being known as the prince of Egypt or the son of Pharaoh's daughter, even if it meant suffering because he looked to the reward. Now, we understand the idea of delayed gratification, right? We, we understand that what we do now, it has an impact on our future. Like you, you'll, you'll exercise and you'll carefully monitor your diet. You'll say, okay, that's, that's a really rich meal. I'm going to have something a bit lighter because if I eat that, it, it may taste good for a few minutes, but that'll be hours in the gym trying to work that off. So I'm going to be thinking ahead when I eat or when I don't eat. We understand that and understand that a reward is not just in heaven someday. 
Like it's off in the future someday. We have fellowship with Jesus right now by faith. And we can know God. We can have fellowship with God. And suffering is often a way, suffering for him, not just suffering because of my foolishness, my disobedience, but suffering for Christ. And it makes me think, like, what do we know of reproach for Christ? People might reproach us for our opinions, our political affiliation, or uh, our own convictions, but what about reproach for Christ? That's a very specific thing. It's for him. Not for denomination, not for your views on any political subject or personal one, but reproach for Christ. That is where the value is. If we suffer reproach for being a Christian, if other people try to shame us, let's glorify God that we've been counted worthy of suffering for his name because he draws us nearer to himself. And how different is that perspective? Reproach for Christ greater than the riches of Egypt. Are we to that place where we realize that's the truth? Continue about Moses in Hebrews eleven twenty seven. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. Stephen, in the book of Acts, he talks of a really big watershed moment for Moses in Acts 7, through 24. It says this, And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and deeds. Now when he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended and avenged him who was oppressed and struck down the Egyptian. Moses didn't see the slaves as people to command, but his brethren. Like, these are my people. These are God's people. He sees and uh, is a Hebrew beaten. He defends him. He kills the Egyptian and hides his body in the sand. It says he looked this way and that and go, okay, no one saw that. Concealed it. But the next day, he saw two Hebrews sparring with each other and said, hey, brothers, don't be beaten on each other. And they say, what, are you going to kill us like you did that Egyptian yesterday? And he's like, ooh, I guess word got out. <laughs> so he went to Midian. By faith, Moses forsook Egypt, meaning he abandoned it. He left the glories of it, the dreams associated with it, the cares of it behind. He, he left it, in a sense, before he physically left. He chose to deny those things, and when he left the first time and the second time, he forsook it. He didn't bring it with him. He go, oh man, the life I could have had back there in the court of the king, in my estate, slaves at my command. He wasn't looking back. No, he forsook that. It was done and dusted because he chose God by faith. All affections, all longings were severed. He fled from the face of Pharaoh and he stayed for 40 years tending his father-in-law's sheep in the wilderness. So this man, mighty in word and deed, it says he was brought up in the wisdom of Egypt for 40 years. He endured as seeing him who is invisible. So you think of that. You think of he's been tutored by the greatest minds in Egypt for 40 years. And now he is in the wilderness with sheep being led and shepherded by God. 
And I suspect he learned much more in the field, in the presence of God, walking by faith in him, than by the best professors in Egypt. I can't imagine what it would be like to be a famous prince, now isolated, in, in the wilderness, watching someone else's sheep. By faith, it says he kept the Passover according to God's command. Before the final plague, God commanded that the children of Israel, they kill a lamb, that they would dip the hyssop in the blood and they would sprinkle it, they would hit it upon the posts and lintel of their doors, that they would eat the food, the roasted meat in, in readiness to depart, and then they would be spared when the presence of God came over the city and slew the firstborn of man and beast. And they continued to annually keep this as a reminder of what God had done in his deliverance. It wasn't to remember that God executed judgment, but that they had been preserved from his judgment. They had been kept safe. They had many, I think of, I'm a firstborn son, and you think, wow, I would have been the one who died when God's presence passed over that night. But I live, I would have lived if my parents had followed God's command. And so that's something I would want to pass on to my children. Like, God is a deliverer. God is a savior. God provided a way for us to be spared his wrath and judgment. And they were to keep this Passover, as it says in Exodus 12, 26. And it shall be when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? That you shall say, it is the Passover sacrifice of the Lord who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians and delivered our households. So the people bowed their heads and worshipped. So they adored God. They thanked him for his deliverance. That God preserved them from death. Hebrews 11.29, the last one. By faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians, attempting to do so, were drowned. After the death of the firstborn, the tenth plague that God visited upon Egypt, when he had said, let my people go, and Pharaoh said, no. He just said, okay, it's enough. You take everything, get out of Egypt. And so they left in haste. The presence of God went before them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. It says that Moses took the bones of Joseph. So there's that cool connection where Joseph's like, carry my bones out of here. And Moses is like, get those bones, we're taking them. Taking them back to the promised land. The tomb of his father. After they left, Pharaoh and his servants were kind of like, why did we let them go? And they decided to gather the whole army to pursue them and bring them back. Why did we let go of our whole labor force? That wasn't very circumspect. That wasn't very wise. Uh, but it was in God's plan to harden their hearts to pursue them, though they had suffered greatly. And as the Hebrews, they're rejoicing, they're excited, they're like, wow, we are free to worship the Lord. They look and they see this plume of smoke, they see the dust being kicked up, this huge army, all of Pharaoh's army, his chariots, his horsemen, all marching upon them, and they are panicking. They're afraid because the Red Sea is in front of them, and there's no escape. God protects them that night, and this is what happens. Why don't you turn there? Exodus chapter 14. Uh, we, I used to look upon the children of Israel with a bit of disdain and ugh, almost 
scorning them for their weakness of faith or their lameness. But every time I can go, there I am. That is me. God can deliver me. God can bless me. God can keep his word to me. And then something happens and I'm unsettled. Like, oh, what are we going to do now? Panicking. Like God doesn't know about it. Like he can't really do anything to help me. And just like, uh, I forget the name, Marlon in Dora, where he said, where is it? Uh, Finding Nebo, where he's like, good feelings gone. Like you have this good feeling, but then all of a sudden you get a phone call. It's like, oh, good feelings gone. It's all just heavy again. It's all hard again. Bad news again. It's like, but is, is, are you walking by faith in Jesus and what he said and who he is? And if so, you're not going to be rattled by those things. Moses wasn't rattled. Well, he was a little rattled, as we'll see. But he looked in the right place. They said, let's go back to Egypt. It was stupid of us to leave. That's not what Moses said. Because he looked to God. Exodus 14, 13. And Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more forever. The Lord will fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. And the Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward, but lift up your rod and stretch your hand over the sea and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. Isn't that amazing? Or Moses like, Guys, these people, you, you're not armed. You're not trained for warfare. These are chariots that have subdued nations. Don't be afraid. You're never going to see them again. And then God's like, why are you crying out to me? Like, God, do something. Like, he's like, people, don't worry. God, what's going to happen? Don't, don't worry about it. I will fight for you. You will hold your peace. Raise your hand. The sea will part. Instead of strong wind blew, it was a wall of water on the right and their left. They walked through the Red Sea on dry ground. By faith, they walked. By faith, they went through. The pursuing Egyptians, they're like, well, it's working for them. Let's go. And they drive their chariots and their wheels start falling off. They're bogged down. They, they can't make any headway. And they're like, man, God is fighting for them. And they tried to retreat. But Moses lifted his hand over the sea again and the waters returned and drowned them all. And they saw their they did see their bodies once more washed up, drowned. This is a great object lesson. How were the Hebrews able to pass through the sea that drowned the army of the Egyptians? By faith in God. That's the only way they were able to go through. When he said, go forward. How am I going to go forward? There's this immovable obstacle in front of me. Go forward by faith in God and what he has said. They were able to go through. The Egyptians did not go forward in faith in God, and they were drowned. Their ruin was great. These words are so good for us to hear. Even better to believe. Do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. Our tendency is to run around, to try to do something, to try to, to deliver ourselves, to try to save ourselves. But he says, stand still. Stand, therefore, being girded with that armor of God, holding that sword of the Spirit. You hold your ground because God will fight for you. 
Salvation is God's work. Deliverance is God's work. Those who place their hope in him have a sure hope obtained by no other purpose or effort of man. By faith, immovable obstacles can become a highway to glorify God and bring deliverance where it seemed only death was there. And this is the view of all those who walk by faith in God, not afraid, who are able to endure because we see him who is invisible. We know him, and by faith we rejoice, even in the midst of suffering, because we know it only draws us closer to him. It's not for our destruction. We have confidence Jesus will bring us through because he is faithful. By faith in him, we will continue on and for generations to come by his grace. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word and thank you for showing us how small and feeble our faith can be. And I pray, Father, that you would quicken us to confess our unbelief to you. When we have run around trying to save ourselves, trying to deliver ourselves, trying to deliver others, when it's only by faith in you that we can endure, that we can pass through, that we can go forward, we can make headway. Thank you, Lord, that your love for us is great and that you are compassionate and full of mercy that you're able to redeem what the enemy meant for evil, you mean for good. I pray that there would be in us no bitterness or folly in departing from the living God, but that when we are tested, we would abide. We would look to you as Moses did when that army was coming and things seemed dire. Lord, they were dire, just didn't seem dire. But with you, oh Lord, Where can we go from your presence? Thank you that you look inside our hearts and you see everything that's there and you test us so that we realize that we are bankrupt and miserable on our own. I pray, Lord, that our eyes would be lifted to you, that you would change our perspective, you would transform our hearts by faith in you, that we would walk by faith and not by sight, that we would live by faith and we would die in faith knowing that you will preserve us and you will be faithful to your word. That's not just about where we're going to be buried and where our bones will be carried, but we will be in your presence forever. We praise you for that, Lord. We thank you for this assurance and hope we have through you. We ask that your blessing be upon us and thank you that it is. We pray your blessing be upon mums out there and that you would be glorified in our gatherings and our fellowship as we proclaim and honor your glorious name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.